All right, let's uh, let's start with prayer, and then we're going to climb into a complicated study tonight. We're going to make woman tonight. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we want to bring glory to you in these next few minutes as we engage the truth. Lord, I pray in these next few minutes for a... Um, a gentleness in engaging the truth, and I also pray for a um, willingness to even engage some hard truths and to put your truth above our design, what we think ought to be, what we, even what we think is, and that uh, the truth can be shaped by what we're about to expose. Lord, I pray that there will not be a, um, a pride that's uh, communicated in engaging this, but it'd be a, a gentleness and a humility, but a willingness to engage the truth, even whatever violence it does to what we may think or like or want. Just pray on this uh, this Wednesday night as we engage your, your creating of woman that um, more than anything, we may be mindful of our unique relationship to Christ as the bride and that we can see the connection there and see our great value and see the great value of woman. And that we'll bring glory to your plan, glory to you ultimately in these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're in Genesis chapter 2. And I think we're going to finish chapter 2 tonight. Unless we get on a tangent, which is okay. Tangents are all right. So um, if you hear something over the course of the study... Uh, don't, you know, we want to avoid crazy tangents that have absolutely nothing in the world to do with anything that matters, but, but I do encourage you to recognize that these Wednesday nights are a time for uh, discussion, if, if you'd like, if you have something you need to develop some. So I'm going to start in verse 18 and go through the end of the chapter. You know, I may back up. Yeah, I'm going to start with verse 4 and go through the end of the chapter, just because the creation of man kind of fits so closely with the creation of woman. I don't want to separate the two. Starting in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant in the sight and good for, good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows out of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man, put, the, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had made or had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of, taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let me give you some um, preparatory thoughts before we engage this study tonight. This is going to step on some toes tonight. It just is. It's a, I won't say it's a complicated, I've joked about it being a complicated lesson because we're going to make woman tonight. It's not a complicated message. The complications are when, we want to try and maneuver around some way to where some of these truths won't hurt us. That's when things get complicated, when we start to do kind of uh, gymnastics. And I'll just warn, I'll, I'll let you know right now, ladies, if you have blood flowing in your veins, there are probably going to be some things here tonight that you're like, ooh, hmm, I kind of don't like that. Unless you've kind of engaged some of these truths before, then you might be like, oh, man, I do like that, actually but it's been a long time getting there. It doesn't come naturally to where you just embrace and adore and cherish what you're going to hear tonight, ladies. Um, I'm also going to address a couple things tonight, or at least one thing tonight, having to do with God's design for man and woman. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about homosexuality tonight, but I am going to have some thoughts on it. I know that there are some, actually some, some folks in the body right now that have family members that are homosexuals. And I want you to know, biblically, what God has to say. And we want to love them with the gospel. I made that comment a few weeks ago. The temptation for the people of God is to stand on their shoulders, kind of like the Pharisee looking at the tax collector and saying, at least I'm not like that joker. Makes us feel better about ourselves so we can amen and nod and talk about how, how terrible you know, any sinner is, anybody that's living in sin. We don't want to do that. We want to love the homosexuals with the gospel. We need to love them with the truth. So I hope that tonight as we engage a few of these things that um, you'll be taking notes. This will also be recorded, so you'll be able to hear it online. You can refer others to it also. Let's start with verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There are going to be a couple things we're going to look at in this verse. First of all, that it's not good that man should be alone. Secondly, that God is going to make him a helper fit for him. Those are the two phrases we're going to engage tonight. First of all, not good. In the Hebrew, this is real emphatic. It's, it's not really brought out in just it's not good. That just kind of sounds like, well, this chicken fried steak is not good. But I'm going to finish it anyway because I'm hungry. You know, this is emphatic. This is bad. I mean, this is bad that Adam is alone. And aloneness is not a good thing. Aloneness is bad. There's some things that God has demonstrated for us 
in the way that he's communicated himself to us? Well, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this question. How does God demonstrate to us that it's not good to be alone? Just in himself. Say it again. The Trinity. Yeah, there's Father, Son, and Spirit. There's God as one in three persons. And there's a fellowship there. There's a communion. There's, a, there's a, um, an enjoyment of one another that gives us a picture that aloneness is not a good thing. So right from the big picture there of a God, of God being himself who he is, he shows us that aloneness is not ideal. I want to prep you for something that we're going to see later on tonight. That All I'm going to say is kind of something to prepare you for, and we'll engage it later. Aloneness, and this is referring to Sunday's message, aloneness equals trouble. Okay, if you're kind of mindful of what we talked about on Sunday, you may need to kind of, um, what's the term that cows do? Ruminate that, regurgitate that up, kind of, oh yeah, all right, what was that about? That's going to come up over, over the course of the study tonight. Aloneness equals a trouble. Okay, Loneliness isn't good. The ultimate remedy that God gives Adam that we're going to see tonight is he gives him a helper. Um, the King James Version actually uses a phrase. You might know what, it, what, what the phrase is in King James. Help me. It's kind of old-fashioned, you know. That's kind of cool, though. I like old-fashioned phrases because it's different. You know, helper doesn't, doesn't quite capture, but let's, let's talk about helper for a minute. Let's talk about some of the things that are cool about a good helper. You might think about somebody that's helping you around the house or thinking about somebody that's helping you at the office or um, what, helping you in the yard. What are some characteristics of a good helper? Oh, they're anticipating your... Your plan and your design, yeah, they're thinking ahead of you. Rhonda's doing that for me right now as my assistant. It's delightful to have somebody working with you like that. Sacrificial? Okay. I'm going to kind of build on what you just said because I think this is where you're going, what you're talking about. The one, the plan of the one being helped takes priority to the helper's plan. In fact, the helper's plan becomes the plan of the one being helped. That's, that's kind of where it's sacrificial, that they're sacrificing maybe their own design and their own um, plans for the plans of the, of the one being helped. Okay, why, why would they be a burden? A nag? Oh, okay. I'm glad a woman said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because they're fighting against you they're not a help they're a hindrance mm-hmm. okay maybe part of it is they're they're not sacrificial in their in their mindset they're the helped plan is not not more important than their plan they follow there's a couple other thoughts that i would provide is a good helper follows you know i mean you just see beautiful followership and a good good helper um, a good helper um, connects to the one being helped. I mean, there's a, a uh, mindfulness and awareness of what that person is needing before they need it, an awareness. Um, a good helper enjoys what they're doing. You know, you can have somebody that's helping you, and they can actually be a good helper, but if they're not enjoying themselves, you're like, man, I'd rather not have a helper. 
you know, if they're just mad at you and their job and everything else, it just doesn't make things fun. So I think a good helper brings some of those things in. So given those characteristics of a good helper, let's import, import those in to the role of a helpmeet. A helpmeet or helper is to honor the vocation of the helped. And what is the vocation of the one being helped here? Think about last Wednesday. Okay, what is it specifically? Gardening. Gardening. <laughs> he's a gardener. You remember he's not driven for the di- dynamic, the driven, he's not driven by the spectacular. He's just a faithful daily gardener. But the helper, her role is to come alongside him in his vocation. She shares his enjoyment. The things that he enjoys become the things that she enjoys. Uh, and she listens to his leadership as guardian of the garden. Now, Eve didn't do that. We're going to see that this next chapter. She didn't listen to his leadership, although we don't know if he led her in that area. We, we'll get to that point. We don't know if he actually gave her instruction. Hey, don't eat from that tree. We're assuming that he did, but we can't even necessarily make that assumption. Uh, the fact that the woman is helper suggests that the man, now listen to this, has governmental priority. Let me develop something for you in the next few minutes, and uh, we're going to look at a few different things. And I want to encourage you, again, don't get your feelings hurt. You'll see where we're going to end here in a moment. Governmental priority is not the same thing as superiority. Okay, governmental priority, uh, and this is in regards to the leadership of the union. Keep your finger in Genesis, or it's pretty easy to find if you lose it. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to give you a few pictures of the relationship between the husband and wife, or man and woman, uh, of the man having governmental priority. Just a few snapshots. It's going to kind of range from New Testament to Old Testament, uh, a number of different places. First Timothy 2, verse 11. Paul is writing to a pastor essentially giving him counsel on how to lead his church. And here's what he says to him. He says, let a woman learn quietly. This is in chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Transgressor, excuse me. That's kind of a little snapshot there of kind of the relationship between man and woman, at least in the counsel that Paul has given Timothy in his church. Um, I'm not going to unpack that passage, and I'm not going to escort that passage into application. Oh, mom shouldn't, or lady shouldn't be teaching. I'm not going to go there. All I want you, we will, I'm not afraid of that. (laughs) Just tonight, the whole study could become that, and I want us to engage Genesis chapter 2. So what I want you to do, is just briefly see that the point there is that the woman is to follow man's leadership in and out, in the church and in the home as a little micro church. Okay? The woman is to follow the man's leadership. Uh, here's some other snapshots. You can stay there and actually turn to 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'll just share with you a few other thoughts. In the Old Testament, Women could serve as prophetess 
but not as priestess. Okay, there's a different role there. Women could serve as prophetess like Deborah, people like that, but not as priestess. The priest was to be a man. In the New Testament, um, well, I'll show you that in a moment. Uh, also, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. It's clearly taught. I know there's some, some contemporary Bibles that kind of want to um, neutralize the gender there, gender neutral, and it becomes parent, child, spirit. Uh, and that's, that's not biblical. That's us wanting to impose our, what we think ought to be on it. But God clearly communicates himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. The apostles were men. Okay, Elders and pastors are men, according to the Bible. I know that there, some of there's, there are some churches now that have lady, female pastors, and it's not a biblical, biblical design. Can God use that? I don't know. I've never really been on the receiving end of one of those ministries. I'm not going to condemn all those ministries just because there's a woman at the helm. I don't know. I don't see the biblical design for it. Elders and teachers, or elders and pastors are to be men, and deacons, I think, ideally are to be men. I know there's a picture, an isolated picture of a deaconess. Did I know her name? Phoebe. The elders... Uh, Actually, this was before we even had elders, wasn't it? We had a crew of people that were studying, just digging into the words, saying, what does the Bible say about how we should be led with elders and deacons? And that was we spent a lot of time on that because there was this isolated incident where there was a Phoebe that was referred to as a diakonos or diakonus, which was a female version of servant, which is what diakonos means. So the, 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 tra- the difficult transition is, to, does that mean that all ladies are, are now possible de- deacons? Can a lady be a deacon? Where we landed was First Timothy, or Second Timothy chapter um, 3. No, First Timothy chapter 3. Sorry. Qualifications for, for elders slash overseers, and then qualifications for deacons. Look there in overseer. Uh, therefore, in, in verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife. That's pretty clear that elder slash overseer slash pastor slash bishop. Paul uses those terms interchangeably. Bishop is kind of a weird word to use, but technically, according to the New Testament, original language, you could call me bishop. If y'all want to just raise up and start calling me Bishop Ben, you can do that. I mean, I'll just let y'all do that. But it's, it's a man, okay, husband of one wife. Look down in the deacon section. Um, look at verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife. It's pretty clear there, too. I mean, that's where our translators land. In the original language, there is a little bit of ambiguity there, but you know, we're landing with the translators here, it's, it, and we really wrestled with this, that elders, pastors, um, bishops, overseers are to be men. Deacons were likely men. Another picture, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> Again, we're kind of 
building on this picture, trying to figure out is there biblical evidence here for man as having a governmental priority. We don't just want to throw something like that out there. You throw something like that out there in the office or in your neighborhood or maybe even in some of your families, and you will be eaten for lunch. You throw that out there in some church settings, you'll be eaten for lunch. But I think that we've set the tone for this being our source. So I'm hoping that tonight, that, but just, just because I say it doesn't mean I don't want to show it to you. So you may, be, go, you may go back and talk with someone and you'll have some passages here. I've used this illustration before of a single verse not revealing the truth completely, yet being completely true. I mean, a single verse is completely true, but it doesn't reveal the truth completely. So the more scripture that you bring in to engage a truth, the more robust the truth that you walk away with. So that's all we're doing. We're kind of doing what the Puritans did. If you ever read the Puritans, it's verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. And it's like, bam, 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 this is true. That's what's hitting you the whole time. This is true. This is true. And that's good. That's, that's the kind of teaching and preaching we want to engage. So 1 Corinthians, so let me hit you some more. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Okay, that's talking about the relationship of men. Now, that, that ought to make some men uncomfortable to have Bibles that aren't marked up, you know, or that aren't used. You know, I've used that, that illustration the last few weeks about the lady that walks in with a Bible all marked up with bookmarks hanging out of it. You know, she got a Bible cover, you know, it's all worn out. And, and then the man is like, oh, where was it? What's for lunch? I mean, this right here says that the head of every man is Christ. So that's why the man should be going, let me tune in. What are you saying, Christ? But then the head of a wife is her husband. And then the head of Christ is God. So the picture there in kind of escalating relationship is wife to husband. Wife is to husband as church is to Christ as Christ is to God. Now, it, it, it's not written in that order of escalating, but if you, if you lay it out, that's what it's saying. Those are the relationships there. Every man, now, let's, let's read some more and kind of build that picture. Every man who prays or prophesies... Now, this is going to be kind of like that other passage that we read a little bit ago where we could spend all night asking a bunch of questions about it. Get the main point, because this, this has a head coverings and all kind of stuff in here that we could really get bogged down on, so... Viola's the only one that would be okay with her head covering tonight. And, and Karen, Karen, y'all could pray. You got your head covered. Okay. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair, shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Y'all hear that? That's, that's weird, isn't it? There's a relationship there between man being the glory of God and woman being the glory of man. How is it? Do you see, just on, on what we've read, I don't know if we've read so far in, in Genesis. We may not have gotten this far. Man is made from what? Dirt by God, dust and breath. What's woman made from? Man. So that's the same sort of relationship right there. It's not condemning women. It's just saying, let's, let's expose the truth here. Let's expose it and then we'll, we'll engage it. 
Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Read it again. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. See, I haven't studied that. I, if you got it, well, what in the world is that? I don't know. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. See, there's a codependence there on each other. That's really cool. Okay. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. Hmm. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. He's kind of saying that, hey, I mean, there's a potential for contention over that, over this 2,000 years ago. Where ladies are bristling. <laughs> How dare you say that, Paul? But he's saying, there's, if anyone's inclined to be contentious about these truths, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. There's just no room for contention in the people of God. Because it's not our design, it's His design. Even if we don't like it, but it the truth constantly does violence to our natural design. One more picture, First Peter chapter 3. Oh, and this, again, we're kind of building on this governmental priority. You might be at this point like, okay, I got it. But we need to see it. We need to see it. First so Peter chapter 3, verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Does anybody have another translation there? Master. So, you know, I'm telling Christy, she's supposed to call me Master or Lord. Master would probably be better. Lord's a little strong, you know. But Master would be appropriate. She hasn't, you know, I'm just really going to pray. And <laughs> You know, Sarah is referred to here as an example of one that, that treated her husband appropriately. And she called him Master. And I'm not encouraging that necessarily. Uh, not that there'd be anything wrong with that. <laughs> now, let's transition from the governmental priority to I want y'all to understand that this does not mean that woman is inferior to man. This does not mean that because man has governmental priority over woman and the family and the church. It does not mean that woman is inferior to man. The word helper is used of God 16 of the 19 times that it's used in the Old Testament. That's pretty cool. So if you feel like, man, I just kind of don't want to be a helper. God is a helper all over the Old Testament. So that's a good thing. And also, we're going to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 later that likens the wife to the church. And Christ died for the church. The church has great value in God's eyes. So the wife has tremendous value. She's the redeemed. I mean, that's don't hear inferiority in what you just heard. You should hear just a different role in a different place and actually a cherished place. I don't want to be a woman, but I, as I read this, I don't know where that came from. I, 
as I read this, I'm like, man, being a woman's pretty cool, actually. Because you're, you have, there's great value there. funny the things that'll come out sometimes that wasn't in my notes that's why (laughs) deviated from my notes now let's talk about that this helper is suited for him that the words actually I will make a helper fit for him what is it anybody have another version for that suited does it say suited Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 suitable for him that's such a good word in the original Hebrew, the word actually means opposite to him. I'm going to make a helper opposite to him. Which that's, y'all might be like, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> because she is so different from me, or he's so different from me, that's God's design. If there were two of you, what good is that? I mean, think about that. If there are two identical versions of you, and you married... And there's just a female version of you, but you think exactly alike. You you understand things exactly alike. You communicate exactly alike. What good is that? But when you have two, you know, the Ecclesiastes passage, two are better than one. I mean, you're greater than the sum of your parts because you've got your opposite there. And the opposite, a lot of times, that's where your conflict comes from. Because I've seen this illustration before where you're button like this, but whenever you connect and then you embed together and you... You connect together and you complement each other. Not compliment like, hey, your hair looks nice. But you complement each other like you appreciate what the other has that you don't have. And you're actually leaning on that. And the other's leaning on you for what she doesn't have. Then, man, you're greater than some of your parts. So a helper fit for him, you're going to make someone who's opposite to him. Another word for that, another translation for that is someone suitable In fact, what God made for Adam was exactly what he needed. That's so cool to me, to know that Christy is exactly what I need. And if you're sitting by your wife tonight, or your wife as a woman, you're sitting by your husband, that should bless you to know that God's design is to give you exactly what you needed. Now, I'm going to talk about later, if you're like, well, that just confuses me even more because I feel like ripping his head off. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to engage that and explain what God may be up to there. Okay, another word for that, opposite to him, suitable for him, his counterpart. That's another translation there. I'm going to make his counterpart, which kind of, points to, you know, the, the phrase, you've heard the phrase before, she's my better half. I mean, I've said that before. She's my better half. For me, it's a whole lot more than a half. She's my better three quarters. But that, that's kind of a, a cool picture, though, of the counterpart that she's the other side of you, men. And wives, your, your husband's the other side of you, your counterpart. Another translation there is corresponding to. Corresponding to means... Going with, like, you know, we often refer to a couple as, you know, people refer to us as Ben and Christy. It's just kind of, it goes again, Ben and Christy. That's corresponding to. That's because you go together. And there's also the definition that, that it also means equivalent. Not in role, but in value. 
equivalent. That's what corresponding to means. And I, you know, when Christy and I were dating, <laughs> it's funny the things that you, wow, sorry. Funny that I had slobber hanging out of my mouth. Some, it's funny, some of the things that you remember when you're dating, you're just more tuned into things that you hear. Like we went to a movie, you know, it was a, I don't even remember what it was. I haven't been to many girly movies since we've gotten married. But when we were dating, man, if it was a girly movie that, you know, she would enjoy, man, let's go. We're all there. But it was a movie that we saw where the guy told her, he said, you know what, honey, you complete me. And I just remember that movie. It's so cheesy. But that's a pretty good phrase to explain what the woman does for the man. It wasn't a biblical movie. It was just it was kind of a cheesy, drippy thing to say. But she's more than a pal. She's your compliment. She completes you. And uh, that's pretty cool. Okay, let's look at verse 19. This explains about how he went about making the helper. Okay? So, it starts out. I put a little in parentheses there. Man needs a mate. Okay, he just identified that. He said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'm going to make him a helper just right for him. So, listen what happens. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Okay? Man names the animals. He's exercising dominion. Okay? You remember from the last couple of chapters, or from the first two chapters of Genesis 1 and 2, that naming is a picture, an exercise of dominion. God names light. Yeah, it's a picture of dominion. And then he gives Adam dominion in naming the critters. And that's what Adam is doing here. It's a picture of chapter 1, verse 26, his mandate. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's a picture of dominion in naming the animals. So that's what Adam does. But the thing that cracks me up is, isn't he supposed to be making woman? I mean, he doesn't just hop to making woman. Isn't Adam lonely and needing her? I mean, he's already recognized that. It's not good for man to be alone. So why then create all these critters, the beasts and the birds, and have Adam name all of them? Let's talk about that. Why? Yeah. I didn't, y'all just jumped right on that. I thought that might take a little bit to jump around for a while, bat that around for a little, but you just, you just nailed that right up, right up front. Great job. Because having these animals, these critters walk in front of him, who knows how long it took to name all the animals. <laughs> having them walk in front of him, okay, platypus, all right, I don't know, I can't think of anything else. Warthog, um, I don't know, anteater. <laughs> you know, just think about how funny that would have been, naming all those critters. Because they're critical, the naming of all these animals, these birds, is critical to understanding how woman fits into creation. God knows it's not good for Adam to be alone, okay? Adam doesn't know it yet. God could tell him, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. Okay, God. I mean, he doesn't know a whole lot at that point, you know. He hadn't been to college, 
school, doesn't a whole lot, just days old. God knows it's not good for man to be alone. Now Adam needs to know that it's not good for him to be alone. And it seems that God, rather than giving the precious gift of woman to the unappreciating, makes sure he's prepared to adore her. Isn't that sweet? That's just God's design and plan all over that. Remember last Sunday, just a few days ago, we talked about God-ordained trouble, where God shows up and is glorified, that he either allows or even ordains trouble that he can speak light into, that he can show up as big D deliverer. This is one of those examples of God-ordained trouble. In fact, he develops the trouble. I want all these critters to walk in front of Adam. I want Adam to just know how alone he is before I create woman and show up as the big D deliverer. God shows up in the not good and is glorified in giving precisely what man needs, one corresponding to him. (laughs) That's just so rich. God's redemptive pattern right from the very beginning. Now, a little side note. This would be encouragement to friends. It may be encouragement to some of you who might be counseling or discipling some young men. I think it's healthy for man to leave mommy and daddy and to go exercise some dominion before he goes to find his Eve, before he brings Eve into the house. I think it's, it's, it's challenging for man to leave mommy and daddy and never go out and appreciate a little bit of aloneness before he really appreciates how to adore that woman that he's about to, about to be wed to and he's about to care for. That doesn't condemn if any of you just moved right from mommy's house into each other's house. I'm not condemning you as going to be in the dark for the rest of your life. But if you're going to counsel you know, family members or friends or children or someone else, encourage them, maybe spend some time being on their own, maybe to find a job. This is a big one for young men. It just amazes me how often young men go, just don't even have a job. You going to get married? What you going to do? I don't know, man. I'm going to get married. What are you going to do for a living? I don't know. I'm going to get married. They have no bank account, no savings account, no place for them to live. I mean, there's nothing to escort them into. And you don't appreciate aloneness. You don't, have, you don't know what you're, what you're being blessed with in a wife. That's just a little side note. Okay, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. There's a picture in the being drawn from Adam's rib, being wrought from his rib, a picture of intimacy and protection here. I'm going to just, you can stay there in uh, Genesis. I just want to read a passage to you real briefly because we're going to come back to it. Is why I don't want you to go there. Um, but it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The proximity of man, the, the, the drawing from man's side is kind of a picture of that. I found two quotes I want to share with you. One's from Matthew Henry, a Matthew Henry commentary. Some many of you may have heard of Matthew Henry. It's an old commentary. It's been around for a long time. Listen to this quote. The woman is not made of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. That's cool, isn't it? Here's another one. This is from 
uh, a guy named Casudo that wrote a book called From Adam. Listen to this. Just as the rib is found at the side of the man and is attached to him, even so the good wife, the rib, he put in italics, the rib of her husband stands at his side to be his helper counterpart, and her soul is bound up with his. That's pretty cool. Now, I'm going to read this verse again, and every time we have an opportunity to do this, I want to look for Christ in the OT. Okay, so I'm going to read this verse again. I want you to look for Christ in the Old Testament in this verse. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. You see a, a place, a picture of Christ, or the work of Christ in this verse. Think about it. Yeah, it's bloody. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, possibly develop that a little bit. Okay. What? What? Okay. Well, any of it. What? What happens as a result of all that? Life, specifically for who? The bride. That's right. Like Eve is wrought from the side of Adam while he sleeps. When Jesus steps out of that tomb on that Sunday morning, that dewy Sunday morning, and steps out in that grass, he's wrought the bride with him. It's been wrought from his side and wrought from his work. Man, Christ in the OT is sweet when you see it, but you got to look for it. you got to look for it. Okay, let's look at verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Okay, man is made from dirt. And woman is made from man. <laughs> that explains a lot. That's why men are so nasty and dirty. And women are dainty and clean. So I uh, know you've always wondered that. That's, that's, that's why, how you explain that. Really, that has nothing to do with <laughs> I just made that up. I, but it's just kind of funny. Now, something that I do want you to pay attention to is that woman is brought to man. God brings the woman to man. Keep your finger in Genesis and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. I've shared this passage. I cannot tell you how, well, I guess I've done probably five or six weddings. I shared it in a wedding of some folks in our body here, Drew and Shauna. Verse 6 says, So they are no longer two flesh, no, no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In studying this passage and studying kind of where I'm standing on marriage and my view of marriage, I have a whole new view of that passage. I've shared it in, in weddings before, and I've viewed the bringing together, the union of man and woman, what God has joined together, let no man separate, as the ceremony, as the entering into covenant, at that point where man and woman come together. But now I've, I've backed that up. And what I've realized is that what God is he's saying, that what, what Christ is saying is that what God has joined together, God brings the woman to man. You know, I, I'm seeing now that I didn't find Christy on an A&M college campus in 1989, 90. <laughs> I didn't find her. God brought her to me. 
And there's, there's some cool things about that. Whenever you begin to appreciate that, when you begin to see God's design in bringing together man and woman and bringing specifically the woman to man, then it adds a note of gravity to that union. You're like, oh. <laughs> I thought, I, I, I can't, I can't not tell you how many times I've heard and talking to people, well, we got married, but it was a big mistake. And, you know, we were young. And I, I don't want to diminish minimize any of the heartache that could be associated with anybody having that sort of background because I know we have different backgrounds in this room but you've got to recognize at this point right now as we're engaging this truth that God brings man and woman together that's his role you think you found each other God brought you together so I went to a wedding this last weekend I was thinking about this how this would change the typical wedding how do weddings begin the Father standing up there, with, or he walks down the aisle with the bride. And what's the first thing they ask? Who gives this woman to, give, to be married to this man? And how does he reply? Her mother and I do. Based on this passage, how, how would she reply? Her God does. Her God gives this woman to be married to this man. That'd be kind of weird in a, in a wedding, but I'd do it. I mean, if one of y'all want to get married, you know, you're not married, or you, you want to have another ceremony or something, we can do that. I think it's biblical. I think it's cool. Um, so there's permanence in realizing that, though, that God ordained the marriage. Here's where I want to go. I mentioned before that you might think, as I said, that husband and wife, that, that she's your counterpart and that she is suitable for you, just perfect, exactly what you needed. That It might be kind of funny if you guys are like thinking, man, I kind of want to rip his head off right now. That's where I wanted to bring this up right here, is that if you feel like you're in a marriage that's just difficult, it's like, oh, man, how's this going to work? Or if you're counseling someone who's in a marriage, it's like, man, this is just difficult. Surely we made a big mistake. How can we possibly brave this? You've got to take them to Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Take them to Genesis chapter 2 and show them that God ordains your marriage. If it's miserable, then you're likely not living according to his design for husband and wife. Where husband is loving her like Christ loved the church and where she is following his leadership. I mean, that's, that's one thing. But realize that the resources are there. It's God's design. He made marriage. And he brought the two of you together. So if, if your marriage or the marriage of someone that you know is just completely horrible, you're like, man, how can we possibly survive this? You've got to take them to the place where they see that God ordained the marriage and that the resources for growing that marriage into a good one will only be fine with him, found with him. That's the way he builds it. In fact, I don't know anybody that just kind of falls into a wonderful marriage. It's work. It's work. And it, but the biblical design, God's plan, his, you know, the daily dying, <laughs> you know, the daily dying that it is one to another, submitting one to another, those sort of things, man, that's hard work and it takes time. But um, you have to draw on him and it's kind of built it that way. He's kind of built trouble so that he can show up and be glorified in it. You see his handiwork. I mean, that's his redemptive pattern, again, all over it. Now, I mentioned that I would have just a brief note on homosexuality. I, I need, I want to exercise, like I said in the beginning, as much uh, gentleness as I possibly can. I know the tendency is to just hammer the homosexual community or anybody that is involved with that and just 
least I'm not like those jokers. And I, I do not want to come across that way. In great humility, I want to just offer these considerations. I think it's a special affront to God and His plan to participate in that specific sin. I think it's a special affront because that's his most basic design of man and woman and family and marriage. And it's not an alternative lifestyle. And I know that there's a lot of TV shows and, you know, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't watch some of those shows every now and again. I don't, I don't, I'm not committed to any of them. But I don't just immediately shut them off because I they're pretty, you know, the, the, the guys that I've seen on television that are um, outward, outgoing homosexuals, they're pretty entertaining. I mean, honestly, they're kind of fun to watch, you know. <laughs> but it's not an alternative lifestyle. It's sin. And we cannot dismiss that. Romans chapter 1, I read something in the newspaper Today, there's a church in Dallas that's really being beat up right now because they had a, um, someone asked them to do a funeral for a guy who was um, a, a practicing homosexual, and um, they didn't know that he was a homosexual. Actually, they committed to doing the, fu- the funeral and the service and everything in, in their church building and, I think, officiating. And when they found out, they saw some of the pictures that they wanted to have shown during the ceremony. And it showed him, I guess, in obvious embrace or, you know, with, with his partner. And uh, they said, oh, we, we can't do the funeral. But we'll pay for you to do it somewhere else. We just can't condone that sort of, um, you know, it's just kind of like presenting it as, hey, man, it's okay. You know, and they just, they made a tough call. And I can tell you, man, imagining that call, that has got to be a tough, tough call. Because I bet they wanted nothing more than to minister to that family. Terribly nothing more than to minister to that family. But you have to be careful about, I mean, you got, you got to in some way, you cannot embrace sin in an effort to minister to someone's family. But it's such a weird thing because it's so viewed as okay. And it's just kind of a, you know, even a genetic predisposition or things like that. But we need to see it for what it is. Um, Romans chapter 1, and actually I saw a letter to the editor where someone was really hammering that church and saying that they were not Christian and Jesus never said this and it was never presented in the New Testament that homosexuality is not God's design. Here's one picture. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Now just let those be markers ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, how do they suppress the truth? You're about to see. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown that to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, listen to these next couple verses. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Essentially, and there's another verse that actually explains this, they traded the truth about God for a lie and began to worship the creature rather than the Creator. 
It, well, I'm going to worship my own design. <laughs> this is what I want. I don't care what God says in his design. I'm going to do it my way because this is, I feel predisposed to this. Therefore, this is what God did. He gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in, in themselves the due penalty for their error. You know, it's clear. It's clear. I know it's difficult, especially if you have if you have friends that are homosexuals or have a family member and and they're nice. You know, you know, be, they can be good people, gentle, nice, but nice is not always true. I mean, and true is not always nice. You know, you got to hear that. Jesus wasn't nice, man. People wanted to either stone him or worship him. You see it all over John. We've seen it five or six times where he's preaching and people want to worship him or they're picking up stones to nab him or they want to put him in prison. I mean, it's a radical response to the truth. So don't be surprised if someone really is angry with you. But what do we do from 1 Peter chapter 4? We give an account for the hope within with what? Two things. Gentleness and respect. That's got to be our heart. It's got to be a humility and a gentleness and respect as we present the truth and communicate the truth. Okay, that was just a side note. Let's look at verse 23. Dude, it's 7 o'clock. Whoa, that threw my plan tonight for a loop. Mm. I want to engage this. We can't leave woman half-made. We can't do that. We, we're going to have to pick this up. Um, and here's our schedule. We're going to pick this up three weeks from now. And I'll tell you why three weeks from now. Next Wednesday night is the Wednesday before our mobile worship. And typically on Saturdays we go out and engage neighborhoods before mobile worship and pass out flyers, just our little, little cards letting them know we're going to be in their area. We're actually, this mobile worship coming up this month is going to be at the intermediate school. So we've got a lot of cool new neighborhoods to hit around there. And we're going to do that on Wednesdays. So you can go out as a whole family. The kids are not going to have their, the, the nursery will be here. But the kids, you know, dads, moms, you can lead your kids out in the neighborhoods and go around as a family and visit some neighborhoods. And, but we'll have a plan. We'll meet here next Wednesday night, and I'll share with you our plan. We'll have some map quest maps and things like that for you to uh, connect with so we're going to do that next Wednesday night and Scott's actually going to be preaching on mobile worship the uh, the last Sunday of this month so that's going to be a cool time Scott's first time preaching and um, one of the things that I think we're blessed with that you'll be amazed with is that we you know we don't have a worship guy that doesn't know his bible this just musically gifted I mean this guy's eating the book Scott's Bible is just consumed. He's just been devouring it. I gave him this Bible a couple years ago, and it just looks like it's been through combat because he's eaten that thing. And um, a lot of the songs that we sing on Sunday, or some of the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, he's written and come from study. And, man, I, we are blessed. We're blessed to have a guy that's eating a book like that. But he's going to preach on the last Sunday of the month at the intermediate school. 
Uh, and the Wednesday after that, Christy and I are with our older kids, and we're actually leaving on that Sunday, which is why Scott's preaching, and taking our kids to Pittsburgh, possibly for eye surgery for Evan and Luke. So we're coming back on Thursday. So I don't know what our plan will be on that Wednesday. Maybe Scott will teach, because Scott's teaching the youth, kind of paralleling what we're doing. So maybe he'll make woman some more. But we're still going to finish the rest of this study. We can't make too much of woman. I mean, this is a good thing for us to study. And, and um, so even if Scott engages it, or we may have someone else teach that Wednesday night. But I'll, I'll send you all some emails to remind you of this schedule and this plan because I want you all to be tuned into it. And let me encourage you, too, if you feel kind of funny about... Um, doing the door-to-door stuff, it's basically like, here, here's what it looks like. You have a card. We make up these really cool cards. They look very high quality. You know, they're not like, you know, cardboard with a picture drawn on them or something. They, they look real nice. And You knock on their door. This is kind of a mock visit. My name is Ben McGraw. We're from Cross Point Fellowship. We're going to be worshiping at the Intermediate School uh, this next Sunday at, um, what time do we do that? 10 o'clock. We're going to have coffee and donuts at 9.30. And if y'all aren't part of a church home, we'd love to have you come worship with us. Have a great day. I mean, that's not scary. You know, so so not. It's so cool, too, because you see people that go, oh, man, you know, I've been wanting to connect to a church in our community. And you're like, man, that's so sweet that I had a chance to engage that person. So, um, I've never had anybody, I've at one time in four years, in lots of visits, have I ever had anybody that was aggressive toward me. Just once. And they didn't hurt me. I did some kung fu on them, and we were just, <laughs> we were on our way, you know. It wasn't bad, so not really. It wasn't bad. So we'll do that next Wednesday night, and that'd be cool. Let me pray, and we'll dismiss. <clears throat> Lord, we treasure our time together tonight. We love this book, uh, but more than the book, we love the God of the book, and we love that uh, you illumine and uh, enlighten and open our eyes and wreck us and disassemble us, and that you refabricate and rebuild and re-engineer into a people that are unique and that are salty and bright and are otherworldly and are alien. Um, Lord, I just pray that we will just continue just to devour this book and that we will do everything we can to engage it between Sundays and between Wednesdays and that we will engage it out loud and that neighbors and friends and workmates will hear adoration and they will smell worship and that they will see um, just things that are not of this world in our families and in this little micro-gospel that is the marriage and that little micro-earth that uh, is our home. Uh, we just pray that you'll be glorified, Lord. We thank you so much for uh, a sweet time together tonight. We thank you also for woman. I'm just grateful for my Christy. And um, I'm grateful for the wives that I see complimenting and um, suitable and are suited for the men in this room and in our body. We just treasure your design and your plan. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all.